Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. We have a big podcast today. Me and Connor have Janice in the studio today. We actually have four of us, so uh, this will be a little different. Normally, it's either me and Connor or me and Connor and one other. So uh, we've got four of us crammed in in here, and we're all actually sitting at our home office. We're being Connor always are in Boise, Idaho, but I'm really excited to have Janice in here. If you're in the storage world, you know Janice already. And if you're trying to get into the storage world, or if you haven't heard about Janice, you'll know about them after we get done. They provide such unique insight because of their size and uh, what they do. And some of the statistics that I'm going to have them talk to you guys about are actually quite shocking to us. But with that, we'll bring them in and uh, we'll get started. Appreciate it. Yeah. Just to let everybody know, my name is John Bilton, and I'm the uh, Western Region Sales Manager for the for Janus International for the Noki Smart Entry products, and uh, we're excited to be here today and decide, excited to speak to your audience about Janus International and, and the products that we provide, as well as about the industry and what we're seeing out there and what's happening from a, a holistic perspective and industry perspective. And you came over with Janice's purchase of Noki. That's correct. I I, uh, joined Janice about 14, 15 months ago. Virtually uh, within 48 hours of the Noki acquisition, Noki was an independent company that had a relationship with Janice, a partnership. And then Janice uh, decided that they wanted to own the intellectual property and own the hardware associated with what uh, Noki Smart Entry does. And and really roll it out in the self-storage industry. And and so I came along uh, at the same time as that acquisition. Thank you, AJ. Uh, it's great to be here. And, and this is the first podcast I've ever done. My name is Nelson Hendricks. I'm with Janice. I'm on the R3 side of the business. R3 stands for Restore, Rebuild, and Replace. And we have in our toolbox things that will help older facilities with aesthetic appeal, functionality, safety, security, Noki being the security part of it. Which is a huge, yeah. huge thing. And we, and we had this conversation. We we had lunch a little earlier and we were talking about this. And, and how many facilities you said are out there that were built? There's over 30,000 facilities that are 30 years old or older. And half of those are 40 years old. Or That's older. A so it's, it's a big number. And, you know, every day they just get older and something needs to be done to the doors, to the hallways, to gates and elevators, all kinds of things. So Janus has products that, you know, pertain to the doors and the hallways primarily, getting into technology, getting into some other things. But um, yeah, those, those products that we have, those services that we have really help owners with older facilities get up to a modern look and modern standards. 
And just so our audience knows too, I've worked with Janus for a long time, as most large operators have, on everything from the metal fabrication to the doors, new build, revamping our old building like we're doing currently with our project up in Hayden. A lot of people have heard about that one we got doing with, and also in the Noki. And uh, we've worked hand in hand with you guys now for quite a while. And we're really excited you guys came to talk about that because we have so many people that are really interested in this strategy that we use. And whether you're using new build to bring in the metal fabrication and adding in technology or you're revamping old facilities, you're trying to bring up the quality in look and feel, but also in technology, people are looking at how can I streamline efficiencies and operations and how do I utilize technology and automation is something that is thrown around a lot. And we are we are extremely interested in the automation portion. Obviously, as you know, we were the first people to ever use Noki and how we could have true automation. And by true automation, what we mean is that an individual had the ability to rent a unit, fill out all the documents, the lease, have access, go in and out of their unit, the entire life cycle of the customer within our storage facility, never having to interact with another person. I'm not even talking about a call center, nothing, not just not our managers, that they ha- would have the ability to do that without ever having an interaction with another human being. And until Noki came around, those options didn't really exist. And there were these partially automated where you were using multiple different types of technology and you were strapping them on here and attaching them here to try to make it. But until Noki came around, that option didn't exist. And so when it did, us and our partners, we used for the conversion product with Lance and Reed down there, we did that primarily based on the Noki system. So why don't you talk about that system and how that technology interacts with the metal fabrication part of Janus and what they traditionally do. Uh, that's a great question. And you actually bring up some really interesting points, AJ. I want to kind of go back on, on, on a little bit of what you said. You talked about the use of technology in general. You know, I have a son that's uh, a millennial and he rents his car, books his hotel, orders his food, and really, uh, and dates, all on his iPhone. That's what he does. And he wants to rent his storage that way. And I was in a recent conference where an economist spoke, and he he told the audience, uh, the self-storage audience at this time, he said, in the next four years, a third of your renters are going to be millennials. So you need to get ready for them, because they look at things differently and they want a different experience when it comes to interfacing, even from a retail perspective, because they do so much of their shopping on Amazon and on, on marketplaces on their mobile devices that becoming that ubiquitous kind of experience you talked about having a person get on their mobile device or on a PC even and being able to walk through the rental process and never really have to interface with a person in storage I believe is coming. And so to be more specific to your question concerning... We believe that the demand's already here. I think it's it is. It's just not... Yeah. You know, we, our industry has been slow to, yeah. to fall. And, and so Noki created this opportunity to kind of execute on that vision because we had no ability at the door, you know, the roll-up door, which is ubiquitous in storage, to have an experience that was electronic. 
I mean, that was a manual experience. You came up, you undid your lock, you took your padlock off, you slid the slider back, and you rolled up your door. And there was no really an electronic interface there at all. And now with Noki putting a lock on in, on the inside of the unit with you know, a metal roll-up door and the fabrication associated with the building itself and the hall, and hallway system and dividers and burglar bars and all of those things now allows us to have a lock on the inside of the door. It's accessed via your iPhone, iOS device or your Android device and you're creating that experience at the door that allows a software play, so to speak, or uh, an interface to do a full rental and give a person the opportunity to go to their unit without ever talking to anybody and get through the gate and open their unit electronically now that didn't exist even, you know, three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. Just wasn't didn't, around. wasn't there. And so that's, that's pretty, you know, that's, that's a pretty uh, big paradigm shift for our industry. And it's also, uh, I think that paradigm is being driven by the marketplace because, you know, my millennial son is going to rent storage at some stage and that's how he's going to want to do it. And I talk about this and this is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, i share with you a story. I go to my facility and I land on the airport and like your son, if it's not on my phone, it doesn't exist. So I book my tickets on my phone. I get to the airport. I call my driver on my phone. My driver comes, picks me up. He has the address, and he's like, hey, that's that storage facility place, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, I rent there. And I'm like, oh, really awesome. And he's like, yeah, it was perfect. I just got it on my phone when I was, you know, doing my thing. And went, went. I was like, oh, that's so cool, right? Do my thing, leave, call my Uber driver. A new Uber driver comes, picks me up, pulls in. I get in the, get in the car, and he's like, hey, I rent from this place. And I'm like, what? No way. You're two Uber drivers, one. He goes, yeah, it's perfect. I just got it on my phone. And what happens is in that marketplace, for those individuals that want to rent a facility in that manner, and that means we monopolize it. We are the only facility that allows that in that, in that marketplace. So all of those people have no choice but to come to us. And now I think that is not going to last long. And, you know, and I've talked to other people, we, we have two other facilities we're doing, Noki, and we won't. We will not build another facility without this technology because we believe that if you're building a facility today without this technology, you're building a facility years in the past right now. You're, you're already behind, and so we don't do it. Now, we purchase other facilities that don't have it, right? And uh, we'll get into ways you can do it. We have not done conversions from the older facilities and put the no-key on older doors, but that's changing now. Uh, the ability to do that's changing. But talk to me real quick about your Janice's size, first of all, before we even get more into that. So people understand on the metal fabrication side, on the actual putting doors in, how many markets are you in in the United States? How m- much metal fabrication and doors do you guys do in a month, in a year? How many facilities? Like what's your reach in this industry? The name of the company is actually Janice International. So we are an international company. We have manufacturing in Europe. We have five manufacturing plants here in the United States, Mexico. We have a division down in Australia and it covers Asia. So, I mean, we're, we're global. And we were recently at a sales meeting and 
just somebody asked how many doors we made and I think it was a year. It was a year, 700,000 doors, something like that. And that's just the doors. And we do swing doors. We do roll up doors. We do. So 6,000 a month, right? So you're doing, you know, whatever, a hundred a day, something something crazy. Oh, it's. it's, I mean, that's just hundreds. Yeah. That's. And we do commercial doors. We do large commercial doors, not just self-storage. And we do the hallways, the glossy white hallways that you see on climate-controlled facilities. We do, we do mezzanines. So if you have a building that is 20 feet, 24 feet high, we can put two floors in there worth of storage. So there's just a lot of different things. And in addition to that, we have the mass portable buildings, the movable additional storage structures that are portable, 10 by 20 you know, buildings that can be put in little odds and ends places on your property where you might not be able to put another building or nothing else but a 10 by 20, uh, we can put those in. We've, we've had facilities that owners that have bought 50 to 100 of those things at a time and just made a, added a bunch of additional rentable square feet just in portable buildings. You guys have both touched on a few things that, um, first of all, changing and a lot of our audience may have never even heard first of all we're talking about technology but you also mentioned the new way that as we discussed earlier things are being built why don't you touch on that more in these projects that you're seeing and how people are utilizing the space above we have done projects where there's an existing hallway on a building and there's maybe 10 feet above before you hit the underside of the roof and that's just empty, wasted space. We can come in and put uh, lockers above that in the hallway, accessible by a ladder. You'd have to have a rolling ladder like you see at Home Depot or something like that. But we can put 5 by 5 or 10 by 5 units on top of existing storage with these lockers. They have a, lo- a floor. They're supported by structural steel. And so... Wasted space above can be turned into rentable square footage by doing lockers. A lot of people don't know that that can be done. It's highly specialized. It's, it's, it's something that we do and we do well. But, you know, if you've got parts of your building, you've got too many large units or too many small units, we can come in and take walls out or add walls, add doors on the lower area. We can build something above. There's a lot of things that we can do. We did that on a building. So I got a picture right behind us. You can see there's building. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven internal buildings in this facility. And out of those seven internal buildings, there's probably, I don't know, there's probably 14 buildings in total. But the seven buildings, the builder had decided, I get the best square foot revenue by five by fives. So he made seven buildings into five by fives. Well, he wasn't even 60% occupied when we took it over because it turns out only 15 people wanted five by fives and he happened to have 400 of them. So when we took over the facility, one of the challenges that we had and why nobody wanted to buy it was because of this. And we're like, oh, hold on. This is just metal fabrication. So we went in and it was very cheap. In fact, we remodeled the front entrance way in the office and it was cheaper to redo the seven buildings and change the unit size than it was to do our office space. 
you know, the, the middle office space, you know, I need plumbing, different things like that. But once we changed that, it took one year and we were at 90% occupied. And it was this idea once again of, you know, like you're mentioning, you can, a lot of people think you're just getting what you're getting, but it's not entirely true. You can move those walls and you can change doors and refit the storage facility to meet the demands of the area that you're trying to serve. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've had customers that have had longtime tenants in huge areas, maybe 30 by 50 or something like that, a commercial account or something. And they've taken up large portions of a building. And, you know, when they do the math, they figure that if they got rid of this guy and, and they put in smaller units, they could make a whole lot more money or vice versa. You know, it's, it works both ways. So there's, it, it, it comes down to looking at your business and your facility and figuring out what you need and then uh, come to us and let us, you know, say, here's what we can do. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Oh, you got some room for portable buildings over here. You know, one thing I was just thinking of it goes back to Noki. Um, the thing about Noki is you're, you, you can control any access point on the building. So the gate, the entrance into the building, elevators. Uh, some people want to control who uses the restrooms. Put the, put it on that door. But you can use this. You, you gain access by a little app on your phone. So when it's pouring down rain outside and you have a Noki system and you have a Noki on the front gate, you don't have to roll down your window to punch numbers in to get access to the building. You just, as you approach the facility, you push the button, the gate goes up and you drive to your unit. And little things like that, little conveniences like that mean something to, to people. And especially when it's snowing and bitter cold or raining and you know, like cats and dogs. It's, I just thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's a yeah. And even taking that a step further, you if you add a, a motor operator to a door in the Noki system, then you you already create a garage door experience for people that they're used to at their home. Sure. They drive up, they go to their app, they push the icon on the app, and their door rolls up, and they may roll inside if it's an RV unit or a large enough unit, or they may. Just like the convenience of having an automated door that's motor operated, which is something that uh, we're seeing more of. We did a facility recently up in Washington State, and uh, they put 60-plus units that were larger with motor operator doors. And you know their tenant base has really accepted those, and a lot of them are RV-type units. All those doors, I'm, we're now looking at another, I should honestly put this on YouTube, but uh, <laughs> another building at one of our other facilities, all those back doors motor operated they sold we we filled the entire building up in a week and it was you know which makes sense i mean think about it if you got a four hundred thousand dollar rv i mean you're not parking that thing in the rain and hail and snow and everything else you want it to be you know you want we have trickle charge available in there and you want it and that's very specific right we didn't do the whole facility or anything like that we we knew who we were targeting Um, but that's a great way to utilize products like we're talking about, whether you're talking about mezzanines and no key. And this is how I always look at self-storage. Once again, you know, we are big and say time and time again, self-storage is not a real estate asset class. It's a business. And when you're 
when you're looking, if you can solve problems that your customers have, not that you have, but your customers have, man, does it make a, uh, you can just make a killing. And these things that you guys are mentioning are tricks and trades that we've put into place, which have created exceptional results for us in our business and our business model, not replicating what's gone on in the past, but finding areas and markets that need to be served and changing your facility to meet those demands. And I think we're seeing a lot of that because I think the public has accepted self-storage in the last 10 years in ways that they haven't before, right? And their idea, too, of self-storage is changing, changing fast. I would agree. I think we're seeing uh, a marketplace acceptance that's been different than in the past. I think people are are not thinking it. Uh, they're looking at the buildings now, and the newer facilities are driving some of what, what uh, Nelson talked about from a rebuild and replace perspective because these newer buildings are well lit they're inviting they have glass there's good visibility the colors are more pleasing to particularly i think uh, women that are making a lot of the storage decisions they make up the majority 63 percent of all decision makers right and so you're you're building the facilities for the decision makers even though they may not be the ones executing the actual move of the materials into the unit they're making those decisions they're making them based upon the fact there is camera systems in place there is electronic locks in place there's there's safety there for them personal safety and there's also safety for their goods that they're storing you went in circumstance recently in a in a a marketplace in Canada where they had Noki at their doors and they had a break-in one night. And because we had thermal sensor inside the unit, we understood who entered the unit, how long they were inside the unit, how long they were in their neighbor's unit, unfortunately. And then they came back into their own unit because they crawled up over top and broke out burglar bars and threw that person's stuff into their unit and then came out their own unit door. And you know, we were able to record date and timestamp every one of those events. Because, took place. because you, let's explain this a little, because this was really important for us, particularly when we use Noki on the security side. When I'm using Noki, it's an app on my phone. And when I open up the app and I want to access the building, so we have a building that is fairly complicated. Luckily for you guys, it was your second uh, one ever done and your first one was still being built while you were doing ours. And we have lots of entry and exit points. As I recall, 13 or 14 of them. That's correct, 14. And they're not all the same. We're talking about sliding doors, open doors. We're talking remote-powered doors, gates. It is not a simple system to be run off of. And when someone enters our property... They have to go and they open up their app and they see all these doors. So the first thing they see is the gate. So if I'm going in there, I click the gate, it opens up. Obviously, it sends a signal to the gate. It records. I am on AJ's phone. AJ downloaded that app. He is the renter of X unit. He has permission to access here. Then I go in and time stamps it. It shows which door I go in, I every single door, and the time that I'm going in, and then it has seat sensors to track it. So it is so much of a safer system than just having a normal open hours or lock and key. It's a really good... It is. And we also know, you know, in this example of AJ's, he's gone in the gate, but he's hanging around the property. Because we know AJ went into the gate at 12.07 p.m., but why didn't he go to his unit till 12.40? What was he doing for 30 minutes? And you may want to look on your cameras. You may want to understand why there was that delay. Why did he go at 10 at night and leave at 8 in the morning every, exactly. single, <laughs> yeah. every single day this week? Exactly. So, you know, you, you have that opportunity to understand what's happening at your property, not only 
with the usage of the property and the gate and the door and, and the access when and how often. But you also have the ability to then take that data and say, okay, what am I going to do with that? Can I charge the person that accesses my property 20 times a week differently than I charge the guy that comes once a quarter? What does that mean? Is the guy that comes 20 times a week more likely to take a rate increase more often than the guy comes once a quarter? I'm not pretending I know that answer at this moment, but I think when you you start looking at the data, you can start figuring out what, who and what and profile, you know, I don't use the word profiling maybe, but uh, in essence, you're profiling these people. customer data, right? Customer data. We're analyzing and we're trying to understand our customers. We're a huge believer in this. We're a huge believer that demand is not all the same. We price units individually. We price units. We build facilities that way. Once again, remember people, it's not a real estate asset. It's a business. Who are your customers? How are they using it? Why do they want your product? How are they using it? So like you take example, we built a facility that was specific two businesses. So we extended out drive aisles so that semis could turn in the facility. And then we put larger units with electricity access. We did a bunch of different things. And then we charge accordingly for those types of units. Then we changed buildings that normal access, right? Well, by doing that mix, what we did is we were able to increase our per square foot cost 30% on average above the market by offering different types of usage. Well, that's a guess though. We're taking a guess that the market wants these things. With no key, I can look back at the facility now and I can tell what percentage. So when I go to expand my building, I can look and see what is the usage, the utilization, what gates are they accessing, how are they accessing it. So I know which part of the buildings they're going into. You can tell all these things. So when I go to expand it, I have I'm I am much more prepared to make good economic decisions. And if you have staff on site, you can also staff for peak because you yes. start to understand when what the timing looks like and what holiday weekends do and is it the Saturday that's the big day or is it the Monday holiday that's the big day? And you can start, you know, kind of spacing your uh, potential, you know, a relief manager or manager or managers on site according to the data as you see what happened in 2019 oh in 2020 i'm going to be i'm going to do this on labor day weekend because this is what happened with the data in the previous years and so you have the ability to run your business better like you say it's a business yeah and you know the thing that we you know you look at too is with our facility it is not fully automated it's actually funny because we put the system in um, that can act as truly fully automated, but it's a huge facility. So it's actually our highly, most highly staffed facility. We have a theory though, that because of the usage of this kind of technology, the tenants are willing to pay more. Well, we, we think that especially the tenants that rent online without ever talking to anybody because we're their only option. So of course they're going to be paying more, but we are also right now testing at two facilities where half of the facility being built out is using Noki and the other half that isn't. We will charge more for the other half. And these are in two separate markets. One of the markets that we're doing this in is very overbuilt. This will give us a competitive advantage in the market for a facility that already exists. And we believe we can still charge higher prices and they'll fill up because of this, which trust us, we will tell everybody if it works or not and how it works. And we'll look at look at the data. But when looking at the future and how this technology and what Janice is doing, Talk to us a little bit about that. Obviously, Janice believes in this stuff because they bought Noki and they're incorporating it into their core business and how you guys are approaching things. How do you guys see the future 
of automation in cell storage. To preface that, I believe that small facilities are not economically viable in a very short term here without a fully automated system, as in you can't pay for people to run a facility that is 20,000 square feet. It needs to be fully automated to make sense. What do you guys see the future and how are you guys preparing for it? Yeah, I I think that's where it's headed, AJ. I think you're going to see this, um, you know, we use the term unmanned and uh, that can mean different things to different people. For most people, it means, oh, less labor costs. And I think what what people really need to look at in that unmanned space, and I don't disagree with you at all on these smaller facilities and or tertiary market or even rural facilities that really can't demand a manager on site there from 8 to 5 Monday through Saturday. Um, You've got to have an ability to run those sites less expensively. And you can use technology to do that. Today, I think uh, we see a marriage of Noki with other pieces of tech making that really happen. I think as we move down, uh, as you know, you're asking about the future a little bit too, I think you're going to see the software capability because we've kind of got the hardware in place and you'll see some changes in hardware, but I don't think that's going to be significant. It's going to be on the software side. The ability to do more on the mobile device, more on the app, more on your PC and to manage the facility, for lack of a better term, remotely, so that you could have a, a, a corporate office like we're sitting in here today, where one person can manage multiple facilities from a remote location because they're unmanned, so to speak, but they're not unresourced. There's still resources in place because ultimately, on occasion, tenants need to talk to somebody. They don't always need somebody standing next to them. Right. But they need to talk to somebody. And that person could be in a small call center. They could be uh, at a corporate office responsible for you know, these things. And I think you're going to see that merging of pieces of technology that allows that to take place, become more robust, and become more distributed and available to a lot more people in the marketplace. I think it's already happening now. I mean, if you look at how we manage our facilities today, we already use most of those computers components, yet we still have to have our facilities. All our facilities are over 60,000 square feet, so they're very large. And we are not even close to a point where you can have buildings that big and having utilization like we do, not having uh, having unmanned. But I don't know, maybe we'd be at three people. Instead, we're at one and a half because the call center takes on this extra work, our online capabilities. And that's how we expect it to be. In fact, we, you know, we may be down to one person at our facility. We may get rid of another part-time person. Now, anything below that, though, we don't think you can have a... like. And unmanned is a great way to look at it because I don't believe there will actually ever be such a thing as an unmanned facility from the standpoint of there will have to be work done. right? I have to empty out units, things like that. But exactly how you think is how we picture the future, as in I'll have, let's say I'm in, you know, Atlanta, and around Atlanta, I have five small facilities, 30,000 square feet. I have one person that from a central location in Atlanta will go and service those five facilities, which are then backed up by all the technologies in which we talk about, because we think that's the only way that those small facilities are economically viable. And it's moving rapidly towards that because most of the larger operators are using technologies that can be plugged into those smaller facilities today. One thing that I think people need to be made aware of on this, Noki's just a great asset, but it only works if you have good internet. 
and there are some areas where internet and John connect, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, internet's good. Internet is yeah. critical to internet's it important and, and good cellular is important as well with what's happening in the cellular industry right now and 5g rolling out with several carriers across the country. We're, we're finding that there's less and less gaps in rural markets from a cellular perspective. But in the event there is issues with connectivity, we've actually done this as recent as two months ago. We do a site survey for cellular connectivity and then we look at the broadband available in the area. We found a, a site in uh, a little bit of, it's not rural Colorado, but it's it's kind of a rural area well outside the Denver metro area. And we put a cell booster on site, which is just a piece of technology that takes uh, a disparate, weaker cell signal and boost that signal for that specific location. We were testing uh, multiple carriers. One of the carriers had zero bars, no service on the phone inside the office. Put the cell booster in, we went to three and a half, four bars. And so, you know, those things can, we can overcome those things with the addition of a piece of technology that's available in the marketplace. Now, and we need to, I want to make sure that we're approaching this correctly and right, because I, I know a, a lot of listeners are probably going, but what about this? What about this and everything? And I want to make sure you understand it. And not that I'm just being a cheerleader here for Janice or whatnot, because when, when we first started, it wasn't, it didn't go easy. And I'm not going to lie about that. And uh, those problems have all been fixed, obviously, or we would not be continuing. But there is a certain learning curve that I think you need to be able to, to get. So let me, exp- you know, when we were putting them in, we were, and Janice was putting in a new technology that had no case studies. We had no one to say, how did your busy season go? Anything else like that. We were literally figuring this out as we're installing this stuff. And there were certain things that I think we learned and we learned how to adapt and utilize. The service within our building, because it was spread out, our Wi-Fi service was weak, which caused connectivity problems. We had to boost that. We had to change some of the way that the chips went around. We had to work with people and their their cell phone issues. But I know you can say people are not going to use their cell phone. And that's true. And that's why we have fobs. So any of you that go to a gym, you use a key fob, right, to get in. It's the same thing. And we actually used to own gym franchises that were 24 hours available, maybe one of the reasons why it felt so natural to move towards us. But we're in an area where there's lots of retirees. So the area that we did this, lots of people move from California here to retire. And so the average age of our facility, it's not like they're millennials. They're not. That's not how this works. And they use their phone and people that don't want to use their key fobs. And everything that we did, we had to change the way I think we kind of thought about things. We we needed to train with our managers. But there wasn't an out. We never had an outcry of people utilizing the facility. And actually, it was very surprising. I thought there was going to be this large teaching phase for the individual customers where it was much more on our end. We had to help our managers understand how to properly use and communicate the product in a way that the customer may not have, but it's it's very intuitive to the customer. Lots of people, once again, they were signing up and never even using or never talking to anyone at our facility. We obviously didn't teach them that because we're not talking to them, but it's not the, it's a perfect situation and things, but it's way better than 
how we would have handled it before. It's way easier on, we had opened up our markets and for the individuals that didn't want to utilize that, they got a key fob, which was still easier for them to use than a key and a lock. Yeah, I would agree. And, and the, you know, the fobs, we're only seeing the fobs right now. We've got enough base out there. We're seeing it about 4%. So four renters out of every hundred are using a key fob. And some of those renters have smartphones. It's interesting. We've got quite a few people that say, yeah, I'm happy to have an app on my phone. I'd like to have a fob as well. I'm going to keep it in my car. if Because I, I don't always carry my phone, or if I forget my phone, I can use my key fob. So we have quite a few dual users. I was surprised at that. With you know, We'll call it the greatest generation age group. Most of them don't have an issue with it. You know, um, National Self Storage, Travis Morrow, he's in a retirement We had him community. on the podcast, guys. You can go back and listen to the first one. And we talked about yeah. this a lot. He's in Moran, Arizona. It's a retirement community. A lot of his renters are seniors. They have smartphones. And one of the reasons they have smartphones, and this came from one of the seniors, is, well, if I want to talk to my grandchildren, I they want to text and they want to FaceTime, I got to know how to use my smartphone. They are the highest utilizers of social networking on a per hour basis. So if you look at it, although more by numbers, millennials make utilize a type of social networking by far 50 and older use it the most, which is really interesting, right? But they are on social media more than any other generation and they're utilize it through their phones. Yeah. I talked to this one gentleman. He's like, that's how my grandkids want to communicate with me. So I have to know how to use my smartphones. So I have no problem with this. This is this works great for me. It's an app. I understand what an app is. I even know how to download one. And I'm like, perfect. Go. And on occasion, you know, you mentioned the site manager and some knowledge there. I think w- when you have a site manager in place, if they have knowledge of at least rudimentary knowledge of iOS, you know, Apple phones and, and, and Android phones, then it's, you know, for those that just don't know how to operate their phones, there, there can be some help there for those but people. But it's not, you're not programming. This no, is the way, it's, this not. is the way it's going. I oh, hundred percent. You, you mentioned gyms a little while ago, 24 hour access, anywhere you want that kind of access. That's where it's going. I'm, I'm in a hotel here in town and my key is on my phone. Yep. And, Hotels you know, are all moving the exact yeah, same every, way. Every, every there's moves. a reason for that. It, mm-hmm. It's convenient. It cuts costs. It's um, what the consumer. It's want. reliable, yeah. and it yeah, it's what's what's what people want. So well, you're rolling in at eleven o'clock one night. Why do you need to go to the desk and check in and show them yeah. five pieces of ID, you know, ID and do all of this rigmarole? They send you a digital key on your phone. You walk to your room. They tell you you're in three o seven, and you open the door. I think about that's that a the lot point because this this unmanned storage thing is exactly like the front desk of the Absolutely. hotel. They know I'm there because I've left my fingerprint my footprint or whatever you're on, their, you're, on you're, their computer you've but left your digital they footprint they don't know who i am they know, yeah. you know. they know when you opened that door they know you're in your yeah. room yeah. that's what makes all this stuff just so incredible is you're merging that that consumer expectation with these aspects of streamlining costs streamlining operations everything for your sure. businesses i mean it's just it's an amazing technology and it's what people want so yeah, exactly you either have what people want or somebody else will and how I think this is a great question. Out of the storage facilities that you guys are seeing, we are at the top of a cycle. We're in the building phase or just leaving the building phase, however you want to look at it. But every year for the last, last three years has been double the next highest in history. And it keeps getting bigger as far as development. How much of the development that's coming on the market is utilizing 
this or is it? I mean, we, this is we're yeah, it's a great question. A couple years old, we're yeah. still like infant here. We, we are. I don't have a percentage for you because I don't know what it is. Is it catching fire? Or is it, it is catching fire. You still have people in old paradigms and uh, still look at it that way, and then you have people that are saying, you know, your comment earlier. I've had owners tell me. In five years, everyone's going to have this, so I'm doing it today because I don't want to be left behind in five years. Some of those guys are older guys, but they built facilities in the 80s and 90s, and they're going, those facilities are behind the times. And if this technology is out today, I want to at least try to leapfrog a little bit here, and uh, then I'll look at my old facilities and what I could potentially do with them And from a retrofit perspective. And I get that question all the time. Hey, can you put this in, you know, when did you build your building, sir? Oh, I built them in, you know, 92. Can I put this in? And I'm like, yeah, let's take a look at your buildings because we probably can retrofit it to an existing structure. It might be a what we call a battery-only option, which works great. It might be a wired option. And, um, you which, know. Now that, okay, now you're talking about, I want to say one thing before I forget it that people need to remember when putting it in. We put charging stations into our building for people to charge their phones. Just FYI. There <laughs> so we go. Something we forgot about and came in afterwards and yeah. stuck in a bunch of charging yeah. stations in our facility so people put their phone. But while we're talking about the, let's, let's talk about this. We have the installation, the cost, and dual options now of how to go about it. What does installation look like? And what are the costs associated with installing this product? So the installation on a retrofit is pretty straightforward. If you're if you're replacing the door on the existing facility, you could do Noki at the same time because you're already creating a disruption for the tenant at the door if it's an occupied facility. We put security on site. We videotape the entire event. And we, we just did one recently. We take the door off, put a new door on, and we add Noki. Then we seal that door down and we move to the next one and the videotape continues to roll. And so this is something that, you know, we have programmed into our retrofit system to make that happen for existing facilities. If they have Janus doors on those existing facilities, we can then come and just retrofit to our door because our product was really designed for a Janus door. It does work on some other doors, but if your doors are 20 years old or 25 years old and they're from Epic or Rollrite or one of the, the manufacturers uh, that are no longer in business, we're not retrofitting to those doors. We're looking at, you know, to replace those doors. They've kind of had their lifetime. Uh, the, you know, the, the uh, corrugation patterns have changed, the wind patterns have changed so from a wind rating perspective. And, and frankly, the technology and the actual hardware of the door has changed. I mean, Janus does what's called a dead axle door. So the, the drum, the axle doesn't spin like most doors. The drum spins. It's, it's a more reliable architecture from a mechanical steel and construction perspective. And so we look to replace those doors, and that creates opportunity to put technology into the facility, particularly when that door changeout happens. If the door changeout doesn't need to happen, we can still put the technology in with very little disruption at the door itself because we can. We do have to enter the unit, but it's only a few minutes. And once again, we videotape and secure that so that people are, are comfortable with us doing that. And, and, and this Noki product can be put on the portable buildings as well. So that's a great point. And, you know, we're talking a lot about Noki, but a lot of development uses lockers above, like we talked about, portable buildings, like we talked about, you know, just a lot of the 
lot of the products that we have, they, they put that in new developments now. If they have room above, they put lockers. Have you done no key on the lockers? If you can find those two yet? I don't know. Uh, swing door lockers, yes, we have. Just did a facility in California recently with, with uh, both wine lockers and lockers. So they did, uh, the wine lockers are swing door. They're stacked. They're three high. And uh, we've got no key on those doors. And then they have lockers, which are not wine related, that are are just, uh, the wine lockers, they do in a, uh, in a, what we call a, a vintage finish. And it looks like uh, wood grain. And it's, it's a little fancier look for the wine people. And, and they, they uh, usually put a little carpet in the bottom and, and stuff like that. So it's a different experience. And it's in a climate chilled room within a larger facility. But these are just regular lockers and they're, they're three stack as well, uh, three stacked high. And um, they're three foot wide. And they're, uh, I think these are four or five feet deep. And uh, we put Noki on all of those as well. And we also have a Noki padlock solution that can be used as well in certain circumstances where a uh, interior lock doesn't work. And there's a few places where that makes sense. And then you can have a Noki padlock that's part of the Noki smart entry system. And that entry and exits are recorded and when that lock is open and where that lock is. So the pad the padlock will actually integrate with the smart entry system. Smart entry system. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. And That's all cool. and all of that data is, is captured. The user experience is a little bit different because the padlock is not in an always an active on state. It is battery. It has no key in it. So you come and you touch the bottom of the padlock. It has a touch sensor. It wakes up. Then you go to your app on your phone and you hit your padlock, and the padlock drops open automatically. What's the lifespan on? So it, the one system is wired into the building upon Correct. installation, yep. and uh, that's how it gets its power. But the other ones, the battery life. What what kind of lifespan do these batteries have? So in the, in the padlock world, we talk about two plus years. And in the uh, battery-only storage unit controllers, it's about four years. And uh, the batteries are smart batteries, so you can understand kind of where the battery is in its life cycle. You know, batteries today, the battery technology is subject to, you know, hot, cold cycles of temperature. That does degrade batteries. And so batteries on, well, I'll call it south-facing buildings that see that sunlight most of the day and have a lot, uh, a larger heating and cooling cycle in different marketplaces may not have as much life as a battery that might be in a shaded area that doesn't have as much temperature fluctuation or the amount of usage. Yeah. So it really depends. Uh, we use uh, in, in our solution, one of our solutions, we use a Tesla 18650 battery. It's kind of the Model X battery for the Tesla car. It's a much smaller form factor, <laughs> but that's a smart battery. So that battery, we, we can monitor and we know where it is. It's at 98%. It's at 78% what, where that battery is in its life cycle. And therefore, you know, as an owner-operator, you're not in the dark of like, oh, that battery died. You know, you know, you got 9% left. It's time to make a change. You know, today, the battery technology is really getting driven by Tesla because of right. what they're doing in their business. And that storage component of the battery is really important today you know those 18650s you know we they're a specialized battery 
you can't buy them from Amazon today, but we get them, and, and then to replace them is only, you know, three or four bucks. My, my guess is, you know, if you do those today in four years or or so when those start to expire, we'll have a better battery technology for you at that time that fits in the into the form factor that you bought four or five years ago. You know, you mentioned weather and everything. Is there an area that you don't think you can utilize this? Or, I mean, yeah. you've already mentioned Canada. So yeah, so when we... Quite, the cold must yeah. be okay. So when we, when we test our locks and, and, and this equipment, uh, minus 40 has is, uh, been an issue. But anything underneath that, they've really worked. We, we have a salt tank, so we've, you know, it's like we're living right on the coast and we're getting lots of salt air and salt water and, and we run it through that salt tank. We have a, a heat tank, you know, a heat chamber. We've got a, a freeze chamber and we, we take all these things through all these temperatures and we do cycle testing and all of those things so that we make sure these products are going to work. We have found at minus 40 that the mechanical part of the lock, it can uh, be stiff. Most everything is stiff at minus 40. Yeah, but, I was uh, about to say, well, you know, that stands yeah. to reason. I mean, so, you know, uh, you so know, basically it'll be fine everywhere except for Rexburg, Idaho. As we yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. That, that and, you know, Yellowknife Canada maybe, or Anuvik. Yes, Anuvik. Exactly. But uh, other than that, they're, they're going to be fine. And, and even in those extreme temperature, particularly on the cold side, uh, uh, we did find if, if you have a little silicon spray or... or uh, um, a non-oil-based lubricant, and you hit the lock at minus 40, it actually frees it up, and, and it works. Well, that's good to know. So anyone yeah. that wants to move at negative 40 yeah, can go exactly. free up their lock. And, and yeah, <laughs> whoever wants to be outside at that moment. Exactly. <laughs> oh Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, before we let you go, though, I'd like to get your guys' view on the future of the industry, where you think we're at, you guys see a different side than most people we discuss with and have on the show. So, you know, where do you think the industry is going and uh, just kind of where we're at in the overall market? What do you guys see? Well, I think, you know, you alluded to it earlier. I think we're in an up cycle. You know, we've been in one for a period of time now. We're seeing a lot of new construction and we're seeing a lot of building in, in, in particularly in the primary markets and even in the secondary markets. And so, uh, you know, business for us has been, has been good. It's been robust. Uh, 2020, you know, coming into 2020, we had a decent vision to a, a pretty good pipeline that was really, you know, initiated in 19, but not fulfilled in 19. And so that's bleeding into 2020. And so we're still seeing a, a strong marketplace through the calendar year. Uh, what happens beyond this, you know, there, you know, I think there's some anticipation in the industry of a softening at some point because there's a feeling in some marketplaces we've become overbuilt. And, you know, the number of the, the amount of square footage per capita has increased and can we absorb that? And so, you know, I think at some stage we're going to see that take place. I'm not a prognosticator to say it's going to happen in 2021 or 2022, but, you know, I don't think we're 10 years off of that, maybe not five and, you know, it could be inside that window. But the other side of this is, you know, Nelson alluded to it earlier, is every day, you know, there's 30,000 facilities in the marketplace that are getting older. And you're getting all these beautiful new builds out there in these marketplaces that are really attractive. I mean, really class A self-storage, you know, and kind of class A buildings. 
from a commercial perspective. And so as those take precedent in the marketplace and people like that environment, those 30-year-old properties, they're going to have to do something. And so Janice looks at the marketplace in that regard as well and says, okay, we've, we have a restore, rebuild, replace program. We call it you know, R3, as mentioned, that at some stage, those guys are going to have to make a decision. If it's overbuilt in the market and that share is shifted to this new product that's out there with technology and with you know, you know, a different drive-up mentality and, and uh, more security, they're going to have to up, upgrade, update, change those properties to compete at some stage. And we believe, you know, as this market shifts, which it probably will at some stage, that those opportunities will kick in. And, and so we feel confident about our business in regards to kind of that transition. And could there be pain there for us as a company? Absolutely. But there's a lot of, I'll call it potential out there because of these aging facilities and taking what I'll call a, a, um, first-generation property. Maybe we're on third-generation with these new builds and some of those first-generation properties that were built in the 80s and even in the 70s. Uh, and even in the early 90s, those are 30-year-old properties now, which is kind of hard to believe. You know, that 91, 92, you're, we're there. Those are 30 years old. So I think we're going to see some of that transition and, and that replace maybe some of this new construction that's happening where they're taking these older build buildings and properties and going, you know, we've got to update them to compete and and to see if we can get a better rent rate and more dollars per square foot based upon these old platforms that we have and we're going to move them and update them we we did one in southern california just recently it was a third it was it was built in phases so we had some stuff that was like 37 38 years old down to about 30 or 29 years old and it was eight or nine buildings we reskinned the exterior of the building, put new doors on and put no key in. So there was a significant upgrade. And, you know, they, you know, the, even the color schemes that were built in that era, they were, they were, for lack of a better term, really dull and boring. And the buildings looked dull and boring. You drive by the place now, it looks brand new, even though it's not, but they've put technology in and new doors and new skins. And all of a sudden, you know, this is a fresh property. And people feel that way. I think they come to the property and go, oh, wait, this is fresh. This is new. This is cool. And um, they, we, uh, Nelson mentioned remixing of unit types. They did quite a few remixes there. They added, through the remix, 40 more units. And all of a sudden, you know, they're looking at their NOI going, geez, I'm going to get more rent. I got 40 more spaces of rent because it was full. I mean... It was in around 90% or 91 or 2. So it was, they didn't have much churn and they didn't have much inventory, but now they've got 40 new units and they feel like, you know, that's going to help pay for this upgrade that we did. And so, you know, a long answer to your question, but I think it's, it's a complex question, but it's also a very valid question. And I think that's somewhat how we see the marketplace. I would, I would add one other thing to that, just, in, just real quick. In the industry, attorneys and legal people and, and people that are in the know are talking about making sure that facilities are up to ADA compliance and also safety. And when you have a 30-year-old facility with 30-year-old doors, they are, they're dangerous. People get hurt with them. And, you know, I'm sure there have been lawsuits and it's the words getting around and some, all it's going to take is somebody just in this litigious society, somebody just has a beef and they're going to, they're going to get hurt on a door, 
hurt in parentheses, and they're going to come after somebody for that. And so getting doors replaced is the responsible thing for owners to do. We've had a good run, solid run here for six, seven years. It's time to invest in the business, you know, and, and uh, that's what John was saying. That's what we see that happening. We did that with all of our facilities because we had that, that same discussion with uh, the attorneys. And they're like, you need everything to be ADA compliant. And how the storage industry, how, what that means is different than other places, which we didn't understand. How do you make a storage door ADA compliant? Like that was, we honestly didn't know. And so we had to be walked through. There were a certain amount of units. We had to build a certain way, different things like that. And we went back and we, we had to do that to most, I'm trying to think, almost every one of our facilities was not, not up to code. Not surprising. Yeah. yeah. Most aren't. Yeah. They, yeah. It's not ever thought about. No. And until, until you get the letter from somewhere that says you're not in compliance or something happens, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, then you have that aha moment that, oh man, I should have done something about this a while ago. Well, now's the time to do that. And it can become a class action and people can start targeting and it, it it's something you got to think about in business and you got to worry about it. It's something that we do. Um, we're hearing about it. Yeah. So we talk about us it. too. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Thanks awesome. for having us. Thank great. you guys. We really appreciate it. This has been fun. On. Thank you very much. And, uh, sharing, sharing everything. And we'll, we'll have you guys back here, you know, another time and we'll see how much has changed since. Love and, to uh, do it. What the future looks like. Thanks. Thank you.